The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. necessary for us to pay more earnest attention to the things having been heard that we may never drift away. Hebrews, the second chapter, the first verse. I welcome you to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. We're studying together the book of Hebrews. In the first chapter, the writer of the book of Hebrews begins to lay out for us the heart of the message, and that is that Jesus Christ is the final word to God's people from God. Now, through the years, he spoke through prophets. He spoke in many different ways, but now he has made the ultimate choice to send his son and to speak through him about our condition before God, about the final solution for sin. This is of great importance to us because if we miss this final word of God or if we twist this word of God, and make it of non-effect in our lives, we cannot be saved. There is but one way out of this burning building, and that is by following Jesus Christ. He made the atoning sacrifice that frees us from the bondage of sin. And so, Chapter 2 opens because of this, because of this final message from God, because of this final statement of God by sending his Son in the likeness of man to walk among us, to demonstrate for us the true character of God, and then to die on Calvary as an atoning sacrifice, as the Lamb of God, because of these historical events. He writes, because of this, it is necessary for us to pay more earnest attention to the things having been heard, that we may never drift away. Now this word drift literally in the Greek, is addressing the question of cross-currents. Cross-currents of every kind. And today there is the television, there is the internet, there are all of the sporting activities, there are all of the social church activities. There's the theater, the drama. There is the workplace and the searching after money and lifestyle in America. There is the bitterness and fighting between couples. There is the fighting in the family. We have every kind of distortion happening around us. Every kind of wickedness occurring immediately around us that is calling for our attention. And then if that were not enough, there is the inward cry of lust out of the human heart. There is that root of bitterness. There is the anger and rage 
then there are all of the chemicals that are being played with today to enhance sexual experiences or to mellow out or to stop pain and numb out the mind. There are a myriad, countless cross-currents resulting in complete confusion in our culture. No longer any clarity about what is right and what is wrong. Our Supreme Court, the law of the land, decides that it can take the place of God Almighty, that it has the power and the authority to define marriage. What? Marriage was not created by the state. Marriage was that sacred vow made between a man and a woman to be wed in holy matrimony. God created marriage to produce godly offspring, to produce harmony in the hearts of men and women. And yet Satan has focused his cannon on the institution of marriage. So the writer, the book of Hebrews, let me read it from the NIV. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away so that these cross-currents do not take our attention away from that which will mean life or death. Verse 2, For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation or disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Some of you are bored reading the scriptures. Why? Because your mind has been seared by the television, or your mind has been seared with a short attention span by the innumerable times you check your cell phone. We're now raising children who are not able to communicate very well except with their thumbs. We're now raising children who are incapable of putting together a proper sentence or even writing. In some schools, cursive writing is no longer taught. We've reached a place of instant gratification, instant communication, information overload to the point we no longer know what is important. No time for meditation or quietness before God. No time to reflect on his goodness or his glory. The result has been loneliness, isolation. In the midst of all of this world of communication, never has loneliness been more profound than it is today in America isolation and loneliness because there is no depth to the communication. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, and I would add, in the past with the children of Israel, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? But, oh, it is so easy to ignore this great salvation because the noise is so loud. We can't hear. And if we can't hear, we can't see because of the blinding flashes of the entertainment world and the world in which we participate, how will we ever be able to understand what salvation is. 
Now, the word salvation simply means to be saved from. Well, what do you need to be saved from? Well, you may answer, I need to be saved from busyness. (laughs) I need to be saved from my husband or my wife. I need to be saved from my children. Well, all of that may be true. But it's not the bottom line. The bottom line, when salvation is referred to in Scripture, it is saying to be saved from death, to be saved from sin, to be saved from wickedness in our hearts. And yet the modern church has come along and taught us a Gnostic teaching. The church has come along and taught us that we're loved unconditionally and Jesus will save you. No matter what, everybody's going to go to heaven. Over 80% of people polled in America believe that when they die, they're going to a better place. On what basis can they possibly believe that? Well, they believe that based on the teaching of the modern church. When a person dies, the pastor will say they were a good person because everybody has some good in them. Flesh good. Human nature good. You remember, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I know many good pagan people. They treat people with kindness. But they're not good in the sense of Scripture. For in Scripture, Romans, the first chapter, it's clear that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are utterly wicked in our inner being. And so Hebrews comes and lays out for us first who Jesus is. And then you read also, in addition to the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, you read the first chapter in the book of Colossians and the first chapter in the book or the gospel of John. And we discover that Jesus Christ was preexistent from eternity, that he is the creator God, that he is the one who has established and held up everything of this physical world's realm. That all power resides in him. And then we discover that he was born as a man, a God-man, fully God and fully man, to demonstrate for us the character of God. And the writer says in Hebrews 2, verse 3, How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Now, the book of Hebrews is going to lay out for us precisely what that salvation is and what is required for us to enter into that salvation. This salvation was first announced by the Lord, and then it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. In other words, Jesus came and talked to us through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, walking this earth as a man, he testified concerning the truth. He said, my body is the bread, my blood is the wine, it is real food, it is to be what feeds you and strengthens you. He's speaking spiritually. He continues, This salvation was confirmed to us by those who heard, thus the Gospels, the New Testament. And then it says, God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. In other words, Hebrews is establishing that Jesus is God's last word to the human race. Then it establishes that this last word is the 
powerful creator of heaven and earth, the universe. Then it establishes that he came for salvation, and later will tell us that he came to destroy the works of the devil. That then this message that he brought to us regarding himself and his atoning blood, his message concerning who the Father is and who his children are, this message was then picked up by the apostles. And to give evidence that they were teaching the truth, mighty miracles were worked, miracles of healing, of the raising of the dead. Mighty miracles were performed in the name of Jesus. Signs and wonders and miracles. Then in verse 5, he says, It is not to angels that he subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. Now it's speaking about Jesus, and this word angels in the Greek is angel, but if we go to the original quotation that's found uh, in Psalm 8, 4 to 6, it's Elohim. And accurately quoting the Old Testament, it would be, you made him a little lower than God. So when Jesus became a man, he gave up his position of authority with God and was created a little lower than God. Read carefully, please, Philippians. And there you'll find what is called by theologians the cascade of God's love as it describes the sacrifice that Jesus made to come and dwell among us and then to die among us. It says, You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In other words, when Jesus was resurrected, all glory was given back to him. All power and authority was given back to him. Everything has been put back under his feet. He is in charge. Now, in putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. And that's true. If I look around, I see the devil still rules the earth. But this is not going to be a long-term situation. The devil was defeated. Sin was defeated at the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, some people say everything was finished at the cross. Past, present, and future sins were all forgiven. That's not true. Nowhere in Scripture does it teach that at the cross, past, present, and future sins were all forgiven. What it does teach is that the atonement was made and it is now available to every human being to have all of his past sins forgiven, his present condition to be made righteous, and then to walk in the power of God without sinning. You see, if, if in fact all past, present, and future sins were forgiven at the cross, then Jesus did not need to wait these many years before he returned. Think about it. Why didn't Jesus end it all at the cross if everything was finished at the cross? No, there was a work to be done. And that work was to be administered by Jesus from the throne room of heaven as he applies the atoning blood to the person now. In other words, if a million dollars is deposited in the bank in your name and yet you live 
as a homeless man because you refused to go and access that money in the bank. That's your choice. The money is there. It's available to you. You can live a wonderful life with that money. Likewise, the atoning blood of Jesus was made available to us to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and to establish us in holiness, walking before God, pure and clean. In other words, the universe had to have a demonstration that the blood of Jesus had the power to transform a person's life. Now I understand. Many of you still walk in rebellion against God. Oh, you don't want to, but you're controlled by the human heart and the human nature. And everything about this world attracts your attention. So you have no appetite. And you believe you're basically a good person and you're on your way to heaven because that's what the modern church has taught you. And you don't understand that if you don't avail yourself of this incredible atonement that has been made available to you, you will go to hell. That's not a popular message. I don't understand why, however, because... That's like gathering as a group of homeless people and saying, look, we enjoy our homeless life. We enjoy living in the tent in the winter out in the woods. We enjoy panhandling. We enjoy being dirty, not having a place to shower or shave. What? You're a millionaire. Why don't you take your money and go enjoy your life? In Christ, the atonement's been made. This is what the book of Hebrews is going to teach us. Let me read for you chapter 2. I'll begin with verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the one who makes men holy. And those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Well, what if you've not been made holy? What if you're trusting that at some time in the future, when you die, you'll be made holy? Nowhere in Scripture does it teach that your character will be any different your last day on earth and your first day in heaven. Just the opposite. Only those who are made holy now will reign and rule with Jesus Christ. He's saying, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. The only way you can enter into salvation is to be crucified with Christ and to be born anew, a new birth. If you read the words of Jesus, and let's go back quickly to that incredible passage in the book of John, in the Gospel of John, He's having a discussion with Nicodemus. I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born from above. This is a supernatural work of grace. 
most Christians I know today decide that they want to come to Jesus. There's a calling in their heart. There's an emptiness in their soul. And so they come to Jesus. And then they begin to work very hard to change their life. They stop doing certain things. They start doing other things. They may start fasting. They may start reading their Bible. They may start praying. That's not a sign that they've been born again. A sign that you've been born again is that you no longer walk in any known sin before God. If you walk day by day in known sin, you've either not been born from above or after you were born from above, you went back and rebuilt what the Holy Spirit destroyed in you when he gave you a new life. Either way, you walk out of the grace of God and into outer darkness. And so you can be a very religious person. You can know all the information, but the information does not save you if you do not avail yourself of the blood of Jesus. If you do not avail yourself of this supernatural work of grace, being born from above, then you're not saved. You may even preach the gospel and be lost. You may go to church every Sunday and pay your tithe and still be lost because you're trusting in your own ability and your own wisdom and your own strength to do what you think is right. He continues, Nicodemus answering in chapter 3 of the book of John, verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the Spirit. The water is for the washing away of your sins, both past and present. The washing away of your sin and the Spirit is for the quickening powers from on high from Jesus to allow you to walk in righteousness. It says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. So you can still walk in the flesh and call yourself a Christian. And your heart is filled with every unclean thing. Your mind is constantly at enmity against the God of heaven. You, you love the things of darkness. You don't love the things of God. You love the football game and the and the sports of our professional players. You, you love the entertainment. You love the movies. You love the cell phone. You love all the entertainment of the internet. You don't love Jesus. So you can pretend that you're a Christian in the flesh, but you will struggle with changing yourself. And you'll finally give up and say, you know what? This is just who I am, and God's going to have to accept me as I am, or I'm going to go to hell. Well, you're going to go to hell. God will not accept you as you are. You must come to Jesus Christ, and as a supernatural act of grace, you must be transformed into his likeness. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born from above. And Nicodemus says, how can this be? He says, you are a, a teacher in Israel, said Jesus, and do not understand these things. I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But you still, you people, do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, 
that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. There is a coming to Jesus where there is a binding of oneself to Jesus Christ and an utter renunciation of the flesh. And the Spirit of God comes and does a supernatural work of grace in awakening your heart and causing you now to hate the things of darkness. Verse 18, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Remember yesterday I talked about the man who took the wheelbarrow, walked across Niagara Falls on a on a cable as a daredevil, and then invited anyone who believed that he could do it to come and step in and ride across in the wheelbarrow and no one would do it. Now they didn't believe he could do it. They'd seen him do it, but now they didn't believe he could do it. They weren't going to put their lives on the line. It's the same with Jesus. If you want to preserve your life in the flesh, you want to be free to be religious without being righteous. You'll never get in the wheelbarrow and you'll never cross. And if you don't cross, you will die. If you do cross, the scripture says, you must be crucified with Christ. Remember Paul in the book of Galatians? I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ dwells in me. See, you cannot be superficial about this and think you're going to understand it. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. There has to be a renunciation on your part of your flesh, or you cannot enter into what I'm talking about. Now, back in the book of Hebrews, in verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. The person who says, I'm saved because I accept Jesus. does not mean he's saved. According to the scripture, for you to be saved, you must be made holy. And if you're still walking in known sin, you have not been made holy. The known sin has to be removed by the blood of Jesus. In our flesh, we cannot remove that known sin. We must turn to Jesus. We must repent and be born from above. We must do whatever is necessary to make restitution, to focus our minds and our hearts. And frankly, it's become almost impossible in our culture for anyone to focus their minds. It's a, a 10-second attention span. And then we're bored and we're on to something else. Somewhere, somehow, we're going to have to cut this world off and begin to seek Jesus with all of our heart, with all of our mind. Or we cannot be saved. Now, I want you to notice something. Let me read this, if I could, from another translation. This is verse 11. I want to read this to you. I want you to catch something that's very important. Verse 10, Now it was fitting for him through whom all things and by whom all things, having led many sons to glory, to make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now both the one making holy and the ones being made holy are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. 
In other words, when you begin to engage in the process and allow God the authority over your life, when you begin to pray and say, Jesus, I give you full authority over my heart and over my life, and I submit myself to you, please make me holy. A process begins. And that process is your being made holy. You do not make yourself holy. You cannot make yourself holy. If you try, it's flesh. You must submit to Jesus and seek after him with all of your heart and keep your eyes on him. And as you do that, the scriptures say he will come and circumcise your heart. He will give you a new heart. The old heart cannot be repaired. It has to be replaced with a new heart. Jesus does that work of making us holy. But now I need to also show you. This is difficult, but but hear what I'm going to say. Verse 10, now it was fitting for him through whom all things and by whom all things having led many sons to glory to make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Perfect through suffering. Truth in advertising. If you begin to see the reality of the gospel, the first thing that will happen to you when you make the covenant with God that you have now, Lord, full authority over my life, I give myself fully into your hands. You are going to begin to suffer. I'm not a masochist. I don't like suffering. But the first step in the journey is crucifixion. Jesus only knew one way of dealing with sin. And that was amputation. You cannot grow out of sin. Sin must simply be cut off. And frankly, it's painful to cut sin off because sin is a drug. And we comfort our hearts with our sin. We make food a god. We make entertainment a god. We make Facebook a god. I have been utterly disgusted by what I hear and am told that people who call themselves Christians post on Facebook. The most intimate details between a husband and a wife are placed on Facebook. Friendships pictures, videos, voyeurism at its worst has now been institutionalized. And I'll tell you what one pagan FBI agent who was a member of the Task Force for Terrorism in Washington, D.C. said to me. He said, Pastor, tell your people, get off Facebook It is an instrument of the government for spying on the people and will one day result in persecution for Christians. This man is not a Christian. And yet I find people who call themselves Christians post every foolish thing. They worship it as their God. It's their drug of choice. For others, it's the television. For others, it's pornography. For others, it's a bitter root, anger, harshness, fighting. All of these things, as we begin to submit them to Jesus Christ, one precious Christian woman said to me, when I went to Jesus, based on Genesis 3.15, And I asked Jesus to put 
enmity or disgust between me and my bitter root, and I asked Jesus to remove it from my heart. He came and gave me the victory, and her face glowed like the face of Jesus. There is no sin today. There is no bondage today that cannot be broken by the blood of Jesus Christ. For for that bondage to be broken, you must die to it. You must surrender it to Jesus and ask him to please remove it from your heart. You must ask him in his kindness, and it will hurt. You will suffer withdrawal symptoms, and the devil will come raging after you. He will come raging, saying, don't give up that bitterness. Don't give up that lust. Look, it's pleasant. It's wonderful. Jump in. No. Joseph, faced with the wife of Potiphar, ran from her. He knew he didn't have the strength to withstand her seduction, so he ran. That's what Jesus does in our hearts. And there may be serious consequences for you leaving your sin. People may despise you and cut you off. Friendships may be lost. In fact, I can assure you that when you begin to seriously go after Jesus, you will lose friendships. People will angrily, perhaps even family members, angrily cut you off and say, you have gone insane. You have, you have become a fanatic. Don't go overboard on this Jesus stuff. Oh, please go overboard. It's the only way into heaven. If you don't go overboard, you can't enter the kingdom of God. He continues. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing praise to you. Oh, how I want the National Prayer Chapel to be a congregation that sings praises to Jesus because we have received total victory over sin. We spoke about this last night at our prayer time. A group of precious people assembled and many were in deep pain. And I spoke to them encouragingly, saying, you are suffering as you leave your sin. Don't prolong the suffering by going back to it. Don't cling to it, but release it. Let Jesus have the fullness. Let him bring joy into your heart, because when you're clean, you're joyful. When you walk in the light, you're joyful. Joy is the automatic response of the human heart to being set free, to being removed from bondage. Because the fullness of the Holy Spirit then begins to come. Now I'm going to be honest with you. Many people have come to the prayer chapel. We were larger one month after we began the prayer chapel than we are today. Why? Because countless numbers of people said it's too painful to give up my sin. I want my sin. And you cannot be comfortable in your sin and continue to come to the prayer chapel because the presence of God is there. The cleansing of the blood is present. The Holy Spirit is present. 
and he keeps calling men and women deeper and deeper into Jesus and into the crucifixion of the flesh. But we are now coming to a point of explosive joy as men and women gain the victory in Jesus Christ. There is no glory to the human flesh. It is of the Spirit. It is a supernatural work of God as he transforms us and changes us into the likeness of Jesus. And I just, I want to say to you, please, if you're walking in known sin and rebellion against God, it's time for you to stop being religious and get serious about Jesus. If you're still drinking and getting drunk, if you're still walking in lust and fornication, if you're still walking in selfishness and lying and bitterness, if there's no peace in your heart, you need to come to the prayer chapel where you can hear a gospel about Jesus that will set you free. Now, you can hear it in some other places. There are a few places around Washington, D.C. where you can hear an honest gospel but not very many. I'm literally the only person preaching this on Wave AM or FM. All the others are preaching a gospel of the Reformed doctrine of the sinning Christian. It's not commonly taught today, but in the past, it was the belief of all Christians, almost without exception. If you're walking in sin today, you need to get right with Jesus. You need to repent and be born from above. Now, there were some Reformed teachers in the past, like Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, these great men of the past, believed in a Reformed doctrine, I don't fight with them because they also believed in complete holiness, walking without sin before God, and teaching that if you were walking in rebellion against God, it's because you'd never been saved. They believed in eternal security, and the sign of that eternal security was that you no longer walked in any known sin against God. You had come utterly through in victory in Jesus. I won't argue with those men or women, even though I believe they're teaching a doctrine that will allow men to come as they are today to believe in the sinning Christian. Let's go back to Hebrews as we finish this broadcast today. Hebrews the 10th, I'm sorry, Hebrews the 2nd chapter Verse 14. Now, since the children have a share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's Jesus, also in like manner took part in the same, that through the death he might destroy the one having the power of death, that is the devil. It is the purpose of Jesus to destroy the devil and his works. If you are walking as a servant of the devil in your sin, it doesn't matter how righteous you think you are, you will not be accepted before the throne of God. It says that he may destroy the one having the power of death this is the devil, and may deliver these as many as used to be subjects of bondage. Do you understand? He's saying everyone who has been in bondage, and that's all of us. We've all been in bondage. And now the call comes that Jesus, by his shed blood, has broken the bondage of sin in your heart if you will 
renounce that sin, and you will allow Jesus to accomplish that work in your heart and wash you and cleanse you, you are set free. I want to tell you, it wasn't just Jonathan Edwards or George Whitfield. It was also John and Charles Wesley. It was the Armenian teaching. And many who have followed after. If you're a Methodist today and you believe in the sinning Christian, you are not a follower of John Wesley. He did not believe in a person's continuing to walk in rebellion against God and call themselves a Christian. Verse 16, now of course, he did not take on the nature of angels, but he took on the seed of Abraham. Therefore he was obligated in all things to become like the brethren so that he may become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make the atonement with reference to the sins of the people. Jesus right now, according to the book of Hebrews, is in the heavenly tabernacle and he is ministering to those who will renounce their sins. He is ministering his blood. He is ministering his atonement that you can be made holy and be called a brother of Jesus Christ. Verse 18, for in that he has suffered himself, having been tested. It's the testing, it's the leaving that is the painful part, the suffering that we're all called to. He is able to help those being tested, that is, tested by the devil now we're almost out of time tomorrow we're going to dive right into chapter 3 the book of Hebrews lays out for us the full gospel of Jesus Christ the gospel of freedom not of the sinning Christian I urge you to read in preparation for tomorrow carefully Hebrews chapters 1 and 2 and tomorrow we'll study chapter 3. Please go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. I invite you also, please, as you listen to these broadcasts, if God is prompting you to give, that I can be on this broadcast and present these studies, I invite you to give by writing to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22. One nine five. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. We're out of time. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you, my brother, my sister, with understanding and with the desire to be free of your bondage of sin, to determine that you will suffer and be made clean. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. you want what's best.